Thank you, Gary. That's a new song for me. I hadn't heard that one before and uh, appreciate it and the message therein. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles here this morning and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you weren't here with us last week, we started into a new series. Uh, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the title of the series is To the World and Back Again. And uh, if you give it kind of a subtitle, it's A Journey Under the Sun. Uh, that, uh, of course, is, if you are here last week, we talked about the journey under the sun, S-U-N. Solomon eventually changes that to a journey under the sun, S-O-N. And there's a huge difference between the two. Absolutely there is. And so this morning, we are going to be uh, in our second installation, if you will, into this series. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 1. We'll start reading there. If you found your place, let's stand together, if you're able to, uh, to honor and reverence and respect the Word of God as we read it here this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, and uh, just kind of get the flow of thought again uh, in this chapter. We're going to start with verse number 1. He says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Of course, this is Solomon speaking here. He calls himself a preacher because he is a proclaimer of truth. Amen. He's about to declare something, herald something that he wants all of us to hear. Verse number two is kind of a thesis of his whole journey under the sun, if you will. He says, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. In case you missed it, he says it again. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Nothing on this earth has any value. It's all empty and worthless. So verse number three says, what profit hath the man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Again, such a key phrase in the book. One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing, here it is again, under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. So verse 12 is where we begin our text for today. It says this, I the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man, to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done, here it is again, under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, and here's a new thought that we're going to work with here this morning, vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, 
and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I'd like to preach to you this morning on this subject, the vanity of wisdom, the vanity of wisdom. May God bless the reader's word. You can be seated, and thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this morning. <clears throat> Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, as far back as I can remember, uh, my dad has been a pastor uh, all of my life, all but a few years, where he was a layman in a church when we lived in Weatherford for a few years. And so I have uh, had a unique experience, obviously, from the day I was born uh, all the way through. I've been in a church pew. I've heard the old songs of the faith. I've heard the preaching of the Word of God. I've just been around church life. And say it this way, as a pastor's kid, you kind of get a unique perspective on uh, church life, ministry, people's walk with the Lord. Uh, just kind of got to see a lot of maybe behind the scenes type of stuff that was there. Now, with this unique opportunity growing up, not only in church, but growing up in a pastor's home, I had the opportunity to see individuals that grew up in church like I did and then grow up and just totally go away from the Lord. I've had the opportunity to witness that on more than one occasion, unfortunately. That there are those who grew up uh, and sat under the same preaching that I sat under, went to the same camps that I went to, uh, sat in the same pews that I sat in, had the same youth department that I had, and yet when they grew up and graduated high school, went off to college, they never again have graced the footsteps of a church and have just totally departed from the faith, if you will, and have no walk with God. There's no connection whatsoever with the New Testament church. There's no daily Bible reading. There's no prayer. There's no walk with the Lord, and they've just totally abandoned it all. I also have had opportunity to witness those uh, who got in. You know what I mean by that, where they got in. Like they, they heard the preaching, they heard all, and, and they... They, they believed and it became not their parents' God, but it became their God. And, and they developed a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And their prayer life wasn't a checklist. It was intimate time with their Heavenly Father. Scripture reading wasn't something that was done to appease a competition in a youth department, but it was done so that you might know more about this God who loved you so much that He died on the cross to save you from your sins. Just, I mean, you, you can tell. Come on, if you had seen individuals that grew up in church, you know when there is, it goes from being their parents' faith and it becomes their faith. There's a huge difference between the two. Amen. Unfortunately, I've also seen this, this third group that's out there. Whether they grew up in church or not, they now sit in a pew week in and week out at maybe Bible Baptist Church, and they're involved in the ministries, they work in the nursery, 
Maybe they're back in junior church or they help with the van or they help with the greeter ministry or the security or they help with the sound set. What are all the ministries that are done? They have a ministry at the church. They're here for most of the services, if not all of them. They are tithing, giving, loving members of the church who love people and are engaged with people. And yet there seems to be a sadness about them because they do not have a daily personal walk with their Savior. I'm not talking about the fact that they're not saved. Understand me this morning. I'm not talking about that they're not born again. What I'm saying is, is they are saved and they are functioning in the New Testament church. They're, they're, they're doing all the right things, but they're doing it without a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not daily abiding in Him and they're not drawing strength from the scriptures and, and, and daily talking to him in prayer and, and daily just walking saying, who can I lead to the Lord today? And, and daily living in the spirit. When we talk about the fruit of the spirit, that is an absent part of their life. To live and abide and walk in the spirit on a daily basis and know love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. They might have hints of those every once in a while, but it's not an abiding part of their life. Maybe we can go from talking in third person this morning and kind of get this a little bit more directed. Is that you this morning? You come to Bible Baptist Church and you come and you're involved in ministry and you're given to the church and you're sitting there in the church services Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're here. And yet your relationship with Christ is dry, it's dead. It's apathetic, half-hearted. There's no realness to it. And if we were to, if we were peel back the secret part of your life, we wouldn't find an abiding presence of Christ where you daily spend time with Him, but instead find a dry, barren wasteland. There's nothing there. Can I tell you this morning, the saddest reality of all three groups that I've talked about this morning is that final one. The one who lives under the rules, but has no benefit of the relationship. One who follows all the checklists and does all what they're supposed to do, and yet doesn't get to daily abide in the joy that is Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this morning, Solomon came to this realization that it is no fun to have wisdom under the sun. Now, Again, we're going to kind of develop this idea because you say, isn't the Bible talked about wisdom in a positive light? And now you're talking about it as vain to have wisdom? Don't, don't miss this here. What's vain about having wisdom is when it's done without relationship with Jesus Christ. And Solomon came to that understanding. That'll make more sense as we dig into this. But just by way of kind of review, let's just really quickly run through this. Of course, we've already identified Solomon is our speaker here. And in the first 11 verses of the book... He identifies what is really his thesis for the whole book. So he says there in verse number two, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vain, right? All is vanity. The word vanity literally means this, empty, no substance, nothing there. Last week we talked about a bubble machine. By next week we're going to have a bubble machine here. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Got to do that. You have all the bubbles going, you know. The kids blow the little soapy bubbles, you know what I'm talking about? It just bubbles everywhere. And little kid, it's fun watching them. They go around and they, they try to grab the bubbles and they pop. 
They might start collecting all them bubbles and, and funneling them into a bag. And you know, at the end of the day, all they're going to have is a bunch of slime. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are living their life and they're seeking after vain things. Things that really have no eternal weight. They have no value. They pretend like they do. That's what vanity is. Vanity is something that looks like it should have substance, but really it's just full of air. There's nothing there. They grasp at it hoping to gain something and only they wind up with nothing. And so Solomon says this, vanity is bad, but this is vanity of vanities. Kind of we talk about the temple, there's the holy place and then there's the holy of holies, the most holy place. What he's saying is, he's, I'm going to take you on a journey in stuff that's not only has no value, but it has so little value that I have to describe it this way, vanity of vanities. And then he says this, all is vanity. Now he defines this further in verse number three by helping us understand. This is not a doom and gloom book. It might feel that way sometimes. But he says this, what makes everything vain and empty and worthless is when life is lived under the sun. Now that's a very key phrase that's going to be used all throughout this book. His journey under the sun, S-U-N. Now that phrase simply means this, life lived for this world. Living life in this world for this world. That, that is life under the sun. So life under the sun is a life in pursuit of money. Life in pursuit of fame. Life in pursuit of pleasures. Life in pursuit of relationships. Life in pursuit of anything that's here on this earth he says what happens is, is all of that winds up being a bucket of slime at the end of a person's life. They spend their whole life in pursuit of these vain things under the sun, only to realize at the end of it all that they have nothing of value to show. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 would describe that Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians stand before the Lord, and there will be some that will have great reward and some that will have great loss Solomon is recognizing this, that which is done on this earth, for this earth, is only loss. There's no value there, it's vanity. So, of course, we let the cat out of the bag. The end of the book is described this way. The whole duty of man is summed up this, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon, when he comes to the end of this conclusion of this journey under the sun, he says, listen, life lived with the purpose of eternal values and life lived with the mindset that I want to please God is a life that has great value. It has great substance. It has something worthwhile living for. And so although over here it might look like you're gaining a lot, really all you're getting is a bunch of vanity. Over here, life live under the sun of God, S-O-N, is that which is full of great value and worthwhile things. So here he describes, this is our journey. This man who had more money than any of us will ever have, who had more wisdom than any of us will ever have, this man who had more opportunities as a king than any of us will ever have, and just say it this way, a man who had more spouses than any of us will ever have. I had hundreds of wives. Crazy. You'd think after a few of those, he would figure out, I'm not going to find joy and happiness in a marriage. Let me try a few more. He just kept going and kept going. But here it is. We could, we could lay it all out there. Let's just say this way. Solomon had more opportunity, more wisdom, more everything than you and I will ever experience. And here's what he did. 
He said, I'm going to take a journey where I leave God on the sideline and I'm going to go out in this world and I'm going to try to live for this world, in this world, and see if I can find fulfillment. And you know what he found? Vanity. Now, Solomon found vanity. You can mark it down here. This book of wisdom he's trying to impart to us. Don't live life under the sun. Don't live a life of vanity. Live a life of great value. And there is a huge difference between the two. So now he comes into this second part of chapter 1. And he talks about the vanity of wisdom. The vanity of wisdom. So let's take a look at it here in verse number uh, 13 is really where we kind of dig into this. Of course, verse 12, he just reiterates. He's the preacher and he's the king over Israel in Jerusalem. So in verse number 13, this journey into vanity, if you will, begins. He starts his journey under the sun and he begins it with wisdom. So Solomon in this verse states that he is going to give himself to search and to find fulfillment in life. The Bible says he's going to use his wisdom and he is going to use all that he has exercised at his ability to go on this journey under the sun. So what we just described, he had more wisdom, more this, more this, more this. That's basically what he's saying there in verse number 13. He's going to seek and he is going to search out. Now he then describes it as a sore travail that God has given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Which simply means this, if you try to live life under the sun you are going to be sadly disappointed. It is a, a worthless exercise that you can wear yourself out and have nothing at the end of it. It's a sore travail, a task that appears to Solomon at this point that's been given by God that has no value. But Solomon, of course, is going to understand at the end of the book is not a task given by God. It's a task that's given by the devil to live life under this world system. So again, in verse number 14, he talks about this phrase of under the sun. Now, this is where we get a new phrase. Now, this one's so important. He says life under the sun, again, in verse number 14, is uh, vanity, but he also uses this term that it is vexation of uh, soul, this vexation. Now, vexation is a strong longing for something that you can't get. Do you ever see the, uh, the cartoons where you'd have the, the hillbilly sitting on top of the donkey and he'd have a fishing pole with a carrot on the end of it? And that donkey would keep walking, but as he walked, the carrot would keep moving out. And you know, that donkey could be walking for days and he'd never get that carrot. It's something you long for, but you never can get it. You never can attain. Come here, Nate. <clears throat> I can always pick on my kid. It's wearisome and troublesome that he always sits on the front row. He's getting too tall almost to do this anymore. But imagine like a father and a son like this would be, or an old, more to the case, older brother, younger brother. Younger brother is mad at his older brother. He is so upset, he wants to kill him. I know that never happens with your children, but <laughs> younger brother has decided that older brother needs a fistful of correction. And so he comes running at him. Older brother, being bigger and stronger, does this. Don't shy away. <laughs> You're supposed to be coming at me, not shying away from me. Puts his hand on his head, and now he's swinging and not being able to get him. All right. Y'all seen this picture before? You know what I'm talking about? All right. Little brother has deep passion to do what? Kill me, right? Wants to beat him up, but he's not able to. What's that? 
What the emotion he's feeling right now is this vexation. Okay, sit down. That's what that emotion is. <laughs> it is vexation of soul. It's just saying, I want this. I'm willing to sacrifice for this. I'm willing to give up everything for this. I, the, I'm, I'm, working, I'm working double, triple, overtime to get this. And yet, never being able to attain. What is that? Vexation. Well, here Solomon gives us this new term that life under the sun is not only full of vanity, meaning that you get and you get and you get and it's all empty, but it's also this. It's always knowing there's just a little bit further and I'll have it. One more day and I'll get what I need. One more dollar and I'll have enough to buy what I want. One more relationship and I'll finally feel fulfilled. One more uh, this and I'll have what I want. That is vexation of soul of constantly desiring something and never feeling fulfilled in all that you get. Vexation of soul. So Solomon says this, here's what this journey under the sun looks like. It's full of vanity and it's full of vexation of soul. It is something that is just a sore travail of man to experience. He gives two illustrations to describe this in verse number 15. The two illustrations are this. He talks about the crooked cannot be made straight. It's simply this. When the fall happened, uh, which Brother Gary even sang about in his song this morning, when the fall of man happened, there was a lot of things that got crooked. And no matter how hard we try, they can't be made straight again. There's just some things that can almost feel like lost and hopeless trying to fix something that is so broken it is beyond repair. The second illustration he gives is the wanting cannot be numbered. Wanting cannot be numbered. What is that? All right, sports illustration. Is that okay? Apparently not. Okay, we're going to do it anyways. Sports illustration. All right, your team is down by 10 points. And they work really hard, and they go score a touchdown. They make the field goal. Down by three points now. Just a few minutes left. Football illustration. We're going, they're going, they're going. They go to kick the field goal. They miss it. And say this, all the points that they got in the end of the game mean nothing because they lost. Now, here's what Solomon's saying. He says, just like crooked things can't be made straight, there are some things that are numbered, but their numbering has no value. There's really nothing to it because in the end, it's still an L. It's a loss. And so he uses these illustrations to understand what vanity and vexation really begin to feel like. So in verse number 16, Solomon seems to almost push the pause button on this whole thought process that's going on about vanity and vexation. And he begins to look inward and think about this idea of his wisdom that he possesses. So in verse number 16, he says this, that he had come to great estate. Estate simply meaning this, all that Solomon was valued to be worth. So uh, if you think about going to an estate sale, somebody's estate that they are closing down, we would think about them putting their, uh, a good portion of what their life is summed up with, that they're putting it on for sale as they enter into a new phase of life. So Solomon is saying here, my estate was great. Which simply means this, he had a great amount of wisdom and knowledge and God had blessed him more than any other man that had come before him or any other man that had come after him until Jesus Christ, he was the man with the greatest wisdom. So in verse number 17, Solomon realizes that even in his vast wisdom, there is no hope of finding anything but vexation of soul and vanity. He gave his heart 
to know three things in verse number 17. Notice it there. Verse number 17, he says this, And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So here Solomon, he says this, I realized God had blessed me in such a way that I was able to take a journey that other normal people couldn't. So I gave myself over to these things to see if I could find fulfillment and contentment in these areas apart from God and just under the sun. So he said, I tried wisdom. Well, what's wisdom? Wisdom is like in the introduction there, it's a, a person that maybe grew up in church. They've heard the truth of the Word of God, and now they're applying it to their life. That's a good thing. Amen. I'll say this. Wisdom is always spoken of positively in the Bible. The reason it isn't here, which we'll talk about in a moment, is the idea wisdom, apart from a relationship, is miserable. It is absolutely miserable to live the Christian life apart from a relationship with Christ. It's a miserable thing. And so although wisdom is a positive thing, Solomon says this, under the sun, a life away from God, wisdom is vanity. Now, he then talks about the idea of madness. Solomon gave himself to madness, apparently. So madness here simply means this, not having wisdom due to ignorance. So he talks about wisdom. Now he's going to talk about this is somebody who never heard the truth and has never practiced the truth because they've never been around the truth. You think about somebody who didn't grow up in church, they've never been around church, they've never heard the gospel, they've never heard the Word of God preached or opened or know what it says. They know nothing about the Bible. They're ignorant of those truths. What is that? The Bible describes that in this verse as madness. Somebody who is ignorant of wisdom because they never had it preached or taught to them. What is that? It's vanity. Well, then there's this third group, which is really dangerous. He said he gave himself to folly. The fool in the Bible is a dangerous character. The fool says in his heart, no to God. He says, there is no God. That's a dangerous character in the Bible. Amen. This person who has given himself to folly, this fool, that Solomon says he gave himself over to this, is simply this. Somebody who knows what's right and yet chooses that which is opposite of it. This is kind of like the first person we talked about in the opening illustration of the sermon we're talking about somebody who grew up in church and they've heard the preaching and they've been to church camp and they know what God says and then they grow up and they depart from that truth. He says, that's a fool. Somebody who knows what's right. It's not like they're ignorant of it. They know and yet they reject it. So here's what Solomon says. I've done wisdom. I've done folly. And I've done madness. And here's the conclusion. It's all vanity. Every bit of it. Well, why is it all vanity, Solomon? Why is there no value to it? Well, look at verse number 18 there. <clears throat> For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. <clears throat> Solomon's conclusion was this. Great wisdom... And knowing what God says alone, apart from a relationship, is vanity because it produces grief and it produces sorrow. Some of the most miserable people I know are people that are living the Christian life without a deep, abiding relationship with Him. 
Wisdom produces grief because knowing the principles of God and morals of God apart from a relationship with God is absolutely miserable every single time. Now, don't, don't miss this this morning. <clears throat> Just kind of bring this to our level, okay? Got the biblical truth here. I want to make some practical application for you. If you're here this morning and you are one who's going through the motions, what I mean by that, if somebody who's going through the motions, you're checking all the boxes of the Christian life, right? You're going to church, you're giving, you're involved in ministry, you're checking the boxes, right? Outwardly, everyone could look at your life and they could say this, they love the Lord. They're walking with the Lord. They've got a relationship with Jesus and they just, they're all in. But you know the real you. The real you when no one's watching. The real you when it's just you alone at home. The real you when it's time to pray and the alarm clock goes off and you hit snooze. I understand that temptation, amen? This morning it was a little bit easier. Right now it might not be. Your tummies might be going... Because you were supposed to eat 45 minutes ago. Okay? But I understand that temptation. But I also understand this. Maybe it's become a habit in your life. Now listen. This morning I want to be candid with you. And, and as loving as a pastor possibly can be in the situation. Here's what Solomon says. That's a miserable life to live. A miserable life is coming to church every Sunday. Giving your tithes and offerings helping in the nursery, and never having intimate, personal time with Jesus Christ. And yet, here's a fearful thing as a pastor, is that I fear that there are members right here at Bible Baptist Church that that's your life. And right now, you feel empty, and you feel like there's very little value to what's going on in your life. You're doing the Christian thing, but in the back of your mind and heart, you're saying this, I'm doing it because that's habit. I'm doing it because it's a duty. I'm doing it because if I don't show up, I know the preacher's going to show up and knock my door down begging me to come back, and I don't want to have to deal with all that. I'm doing it because I've been here so long, I just you know, finished out my life here. And, and it's just a routine. It's just a habit. We say it this way. What defines your Christian life is apathy, lukewarmness. In, but out. Following the rules, but not enjoying the benefit of the relationship. No, let's just hit for just a moment. If that's you here this morning, can I implore you, can I beg you this morning? You're on a dangerous path of vanity and vexation and miserableness. Just a life of being miserable. So, the encouragement here this morning would be this. You say, well, preacher, what do I need to do? What, what, what needs to happen here? Well, what needs to happen this morning is that you would leave the life under the sun, life lived on this earth, for this earth, and start living life with purpose. Amen. Start living life with value. Start living life for Christ. Well, what does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like. It means at some point today... You get in the Word of God, not because you have to, not because you have to study for a lesson that you're teaching for a Sunday school class, or that you're preaching as a pastor. You don't go pray because you have a men's prayer group or a ladies' prayer group that gets together, and that's just what you do at that particular time. 
It means at some point today, you get on your knees before God and you spend time with Him. And you open the Word of God and you start to dig in the Scripture, not so you can read through the Bible in a year, but so that God can get intimately involved in your life and know you and you know Him. Listen, I'm telling you, revolutionize the way that you view this whole thing of Christianity. I understand there's dry seasons. Don't misunderstand me this morning. I understand there's periods of our walk with the Lord where it's more duty than it is delight. But that ought not be the norm. God doesn't want you to live in a dutiful life and never experience the delight and the joy and the wonder and the love of Jesus Christ. No, God wants you to, to be enamored by His Son. He wants you to strive uh, for the Christian life and doing what you're supposed to do because you deeply, affectionately love Him. Not because somebody told you to. Not because you feel obligated or forced to do it. Not because it's a habit. Not because you're afraid of what someone will think. But because you deeply and intimately love Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you this morning, uh, uh, let this, I hope this just hits like a ton of bricks this morning. Because the most devastating thing this morning would be for somebody who's a member at Bible Baptist Church who is living in apathy and half-heartedness and lukewarmness to leave this building and stay in the same state. Get all in. God wants you to love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. He wants to be first place in your life. He doesn't want the leftovers. He wants all of it. And so the, the, the beg this morning, if you will, the imploring this morning from Solomon is this. He says this, I tried the life of wisdom without a relationship, and here's what I found. Vanity and vexation. So what's the solution? Fear God, keep His commandments. It's ultimately where it always comes back to. Well, what is that? Relationship. Deep and abiding. Enjoying time with your Heavenly Father. It, the book of Revelation describes it this way, you left your first love. Right? If you left your first love, that means you need to go find it. Amen. Maybe that is this morning you hit an old-fashioned altar and say, God, I used to love you, and I used to enjoy spending time with you, and I used to have such intimate and passionate prayer times with you, and I enjoyed the scriptures, and it's become stale and dry and dead and apathetic. And I don't want that. And I know you don't want that. God, will you revive me? God, will you stir something? Stir the coals that have grown dead and help me to have a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ once again. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning. <clears throat> There's nothing more miserable this morning than a believer who's following the rules.